but I just wanted to let everyone know that I remain unsatisfied. Well, I mean, I think everyone always knows that. Yeah, uh, that's a given. I know, but like more than usual. It may be too late by the time you're hearing these words to order ATP shirts. So if you are even vaguely thinking about, hmm, I might want of these delightful, wonderful shirts, now is the time to order. Or actually, it may not even be the time to order. You may have already missed the boat. So if you are interested in either of our two shirts, go to atp.fm slash shirt. And hopefully for you, it's sometime uh, Friday, I think think our time uh it's some, it expires sometime uh in the friday to saturday transition i forget exactly when midnight eastern i believe okay there you go if you're listening to this right now and it is not yet saturday and you want a shirt stop everything pause the show go get you a shirt and to the uh many 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 people who have already bought a shirt or sweatshirt or what have you thank you we really appreciate it cool thanks everybody i will see you next week <laughs> <laughs> Oh, goodness. All right. So uh, I had tweeted earlier today that we would have a show without follow-up. Well, I didn't say we'd have the show without follow-up. But at that point earlier today, we had we did not yet have follow-up. And here it is, just a few scant hours later, and we have follow-up about new MacBook we, Pros. We had follow-up. It just wasn't written into the thing yet. So you had follow-up. <laughs> follow-up, it just it just expands. It, it's, it's like hard drive space and wedding planning. It expands into whatever space is available for it to expand into. Getting crap in your attic, right? Well, John's attic, at least. <laughs> right. I cleaned. I did some attic cleaning actually the the other weekend. I I must have got rid of I don't know forty boxes of stuff. Good, and grief. some boxes of nut stuff. That's a lot. I'm surprised your house hasn't fallen down. What do you have more of? Boxes of stuff in the attic or browser tabs open right now? <laughs> boxes of stuff in the attic. No contest. <laughs> I'm, I'm slightly surprised, to be honest with you. I'm kind of, I mean, so if, if you were able to get rid of 40, like how many do you think are, are still there? Well, I mean, that's... I, this is the low-hanging fruit. I'm going for like, uh, you know, modems. <laughs> okay. So it's easy <laughs> to get rid of those. Are we talking like surfboard or U.S. robotics? No. No. Oh boy. Twenty eight eight modems, fifty six K modems, fourteen four modems. Uh at least are they are they K fifty six flex or were they X two? They were the the which one were they? I think they were the flex one. I remember those competing standards. I think I didn't look too closely at the box. We were an X two uh family. That we were all about the X two because that's what our ISP said us said we should be. I think X two was was the superior one until they merged the two into the V ninety whatever that was. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's what I had when they finally settled that thing. Uh, but yeah, lots of boxes of stuff. A lot of these boxes didn't have anything in them anymore. Some of them did, and the things in them weren't worth much. Uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of empty boxes, or somewhat empty boxes. Some of them just had cables in them, boxes for old hard drives, old hard drive enclosures. The easy things to get rid of, but it was a lot. These all these boxes were flattened, you know. And you 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 want to make sure that when you sell your twenty eight eight K fifty six flex modem. No, that doesn't make sense. You want to make sure that you have the original box so that you get the maximum price for it. Well, that's the way things are stored in my attic is in their boxes because I don't get rid of the boxes until I get rid of the thing for the most part. But think about how much more old computer garbage you could store in your attic if you weren't also storing the boxes. I don't know if that's true because they, with all the loose cables and everything, I, I just think they you can pack them in better like a Tetris puzzle if they're all kind of rectilinear. <laughs> Oh, goodness. <laughs> anyway, I got rid of a lot of stuff. And then getting rid of so much stuff and seeing the, the, the bags and bags full of styrofoam that, you know, you can't really compress. And then these stacks and stacks of flattened cardboard boxes. And then looking back at the attic and realizing it looks like stuff has been removed, but not that much stuff. 
Boy, I got a long way to go. <laughs> oh my God. I can't believe your house hasn't imploded under the weight that you're putting into the attic. Yeah, I've thought about how much, how much that stuff must weigh up there. Some of it's pretty heavy. Hey, wait, can we solve multiple problems here? Can you take some of the uh, flattened cardboard boxes of old computer equipment that you've taken out of your attic and make uh, interior door trim with it for your front door? <laughs> no, already recycled. Oh. Too late for that. Oh, sad times. Have to wait till you get more modems. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, you know, the U.S. Robotics external modems were about the right shape to be like molding if you line them all up, you know? Yeah, that's a fair point. I didn't have that many. The Sportsters. Yeah, I, I remember, you know, at the time I didn't think of it that way, but there was something oddly satisfying about hearing that god-awful uh, oh, handshaking sound. Like, today is so much better in every measurable way, but like that that light ab- amount of stress that you had, is this going to work? Am I going to get the full, uh, you know, 56K? Oh, God, it, it fell down on the 56K negotiation, so we're back to stupid analog. Uh, like, this is the first thing I did in, in, in my AT whatever and it string was turn off that sound. Come on, people. I, you don't need to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I can't, it frustrates me that I can't remember what that was. What was the code for, for turning off the sound? It's not ATS, was it? What was that whole protocol called? Was that the Hayes command set or was that something else? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah no, I, I actually had to leave my speaker on constantly because we only had one phone line and uh, everybody would always call at night to talk to my mom. And so I was only allowed to you, to tie up the phone line if I left call waiting on and would leave the modem speaker on constantly with a special config string to, to set it to the higher level, unlike John, to set it to, like, number two or whatever that keeps it on the entire time. So I was just always hearing static when I was online, and I'd, when I would hear call waiting beeps, I'd have to go flip off the power to the modem so it would hang up immediately, and then pick up the phone, and then just go do something else for a while while my mom talked on the phone. It was fun. <laughs> yep. Good times. God, we're old. Uh, in any case, we should uh, talk about what we were intending to talk about, which is the new MacBook Pros. Uh, apparently, there is going to be something funky with the effing key row, but it may actually be only one screen and not individual screens on the individual buttons like we were perhaps led to believe. I don't know what to make of this. I mean, I don't feel like my, my thoughts have really changed since last week. It could be good. This doesn't strike me as it's fixing a problem I have in my life, but you never know with Apple. Sometimes they come up with things you don't know you need. So assuming these parts leaks are legit, it definitely looks like one big long screen and not a bunch of Optimus keyboard style individual keys mm. with screens on them, which I'm very disappointed about because I had my hopes up from last week that that's what it was going to be. But boy, looking at these parts leaks, you see a little place where probably like a touch ID sensor or the connector for the thing is going to be and a part where a ribbon cable exits in a big long channel. Looks like it's going to be for a big, long screen. The, the only thing I can think of, now, now I'm trying to convince myself that this is not as bad as I think by saying, well, they could show notifications on it or something. Could scroll <laughs> across there. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, and the other thing I was getting my hopes up about was like, if when I was thinking about the keycaps, maybe they could be e-ink so they wouldn't take any power because keycaps are kind of monochrome too and that would be like classy, but it really looks like it's going to be a big, long, skinny screen. Again, if these things are to be believed, but... This uh, close to announcement date, it's reasonable for farts to leak. These look semi-legitimate. I'm kind of sad. Yeah, now the tipster is saying in the chat that that's just the mount the thing sits in. We'll see. That's not, I mean, to my eye, that is not at all what it looked like. But it's so hard to say with these, like, terrible um, pictures that clearly were taken you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Surreptitiously? Something like that. Taken illicitly, if you will. Um, and so it's hard to tell. Well, the other thing with these pictures is like, 
you know, if you if you look, I mean, like Tips was also kind of arguing whether this might be the the 13 inch MacBook, which you know, last week we talked about this this rumor. In the middle of like the big long sentence of the rumor report was also a 13 inch MacBook One that we didn't talk about at all. <laughs> so I think it's worth it's worth mentioning. Uh, and then the, there's some speculation in the chat that I think is is possibly warranted here that the these leaked photos may have been that 13-inch MacBook, not 13-inch MacBook Pro. And there's a few things that support that. You know, first of all, the people in chat are trying to figure out, like, you know, is this implausibly thin for the kind of cooling system that an i5 would need? Um, but what, what I spotted earlier when I saw these photos, it only has the four USB-C ports. There's no other ports. And so that would mean dropping some ports that are, that are on the current 13-inch also, it would mean dropping the MagSafe port. And while it is possible to charge things through USB PD into a USB-C port, like what the MacBook One does, uh, there's a limit to how much current that can actually deliver. And I think once you get into like the, the 15-inch MacBook Pro with its external GPU, I, I think you're probably pushing that limit. It's, it's probably, I'm guessing the 15-inch probably still has MagSafe. And then if the 15-inch still has it, the 13-inch would probably have it too because they're built very similarly and share a lot of similar features and ports and capabilities and everything. So I'm guessing that the the speculation that this part is actually the 13-inch MacBook 1 is probably correct because that presumably would be able to be charged through USB-C just like the the the, uh, the 12-inch MacBook 1, um, or at least it would be more likely to. And you know, we can speculate also about what the heck a 13-inch MacBook One might include, and what what why that would be necessary when there's also a new thinner, lighter 13-inch MacBook Pro. But overall, looking at these photos, I'd say it is fairly likely that we're looking at 13-inch MacBook One enclosure, not 13-inch MacBook Pro enclosure. However, that said, I agree with John and Casey. I agree that uh, if these are legitimate parts, which they look like they probably are. And this would be, you know, a reasonable time for them to be leaking. I'm guessing that this is real and that the, that you're right about the keyboard row, that the F and key row sure does look like it's going to be just one big screen. And if you think about one other detail, too, the, these rumors all said these were supposed to have Touch ID, at least the MacBook Pro. We don't know about the MacBook One. These are supposed to have Touch ID. Where do you put the sensor? There is really nowhere on the keyboard to put it. You might be able to put it in the trackpad, but that it, you know, just is that even possible without messing up the trackpad sensor? I don't even know. I thought there was a patent for that. Well, and there's I a could be yeah. There's a lot of stuff gets patented that never actually oh, sure. is practical to show up in a product. But uh, totally. Um, so that it might be possible, but you know, for now, I you know, we don't know if it's there. I'm guessing the most sensible place to put it is probably on you know, if that's going to be one big flat screen probably just like on the on the right side of that or something you know like an area of that that is actually a touch id sensor and not a screen but it just looks you know maybe it just like looks straight black across the whole thing it looks unified but it's actually like this part's a screen this part's a sensor you know if you think about where else you'd put the touch id sensor there's not really a lot of other good places that 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 are plausible so i'm guessing it's there and then if you're going to have one area of that be flat to be a touch id sensor and not be a key it would look weird if there were a whole bunch of keys next to it and then the keys end like one key width short of the right side and there's a flat area there. So it's probably just going to be all, all screen across the whole thing. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure what to make of this, but I am excited and, and I think it's worth recognizing that this 
hopefully will be something new and different about the MacBook line or the MacBook Pro line. And we haven't really seen that much different in a long time. I mean, there's certainly been incremental improvements. Uh, and I, I love my work MacBook Pro and God, do I love my 5K iMac. But this is something new and exciting and different. And I, I kind of like that we're trying something new. And it's not just the, what was it, the titanium uh, power book or whatever that kind of started this whole unibody look. Uh, it's not a continuation of that. Just another, you know, photocopier, perhaps a slightly shrunken version of that. It, it's something that's a little bit different and that's exciting. So why do you think this is the 13 inch MacBook one? If it's not wedge shaped, isn't that kind of the signifier of that, of the sort of ultra portable MacBook one line is that it would be wedge shaped. I don't know. I mean, what would a 13 inch MacBook one be for? You know, if you think about a, like a bigger screen, okay, a bigger screen, but then what, what, what could differentiate it? What could justify it existing compared to just the 13 inch MacBook pro, which, which the new version will probably be almost as thin and light as the current 13 inch MacBook air. So like, why, why does that product need to exist? And, and I, I have a hard time answering that question, honestly. It would have a wimpier, wimpier CPU. Maybe it could still be fanless. They could put the, like the fastest of the fanless cpus in there give it more battery because it's bigger and have a bigger screen i don't know i mean if i'm trying to think of when i picture a, a macbook one since there's only been one model line in that you know one one physical shape for that model line i think of the kind of like the airs where there was the 11 inch air and the 13 inch air and they were both air shaped and the <laughs> 13 inch had a bigger screen and more battery life but otherwise not much differentiation i mean what if it's for price you know what if what if this is how they eventually replace the macbook air is by just making these like cheaper, more limited computers at the low end, and then the MacBook Pro is is the profitable one. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, in the little picture, they show you can see the little connector in the upper right, which I imagined like there has to be a connector for the screen, right? Yeah. And I suppose you can't have the same connector for both the screen and the Touch ID, but there's also a little opening on the left side that like a ribbon cable could go through. So if the ribbon cable connects to the screen, that could be all the screen needs for the connector, which would lead, leave that thing on the right to be for touch ID. But honestly, the left side just looks like a physical mounting point to me, but I don't know. It, I mean, who knows? We'll, we will probably hopefully know soon enough from Apple, but, but yeah, I, I think if it's, if it's the MacBook pro, if, it, if it's just the 13 inch MacBook pro, then, you know, okay. Then, then it makes. I think it makes more sense that way. Honestly, even though we'd lose, you'd lose some of the ports and things that are on the current one, and some people would get mad. Well, that's what Apple's best at is angering people who like the old laptops. So, you know, that's <laughs> in the name of thinness. <laughs> you get four four USB C ports. That's a pretty big number for Apple, and I think you can do a lot with four USB C ports. Like just one of those ports, you can do a lot with a bunch of adapters. But having four of them means you're probably not going to run out of ports. You may be annoyed that you still have to carry a bunch of adapters around, but I think four of them is enough for a 13-inch uh, because you can do pretty much anything from any one of those points. You could have a monitor, a USB thumb drive, uh, an Ethernet cable, and an external hard drive. And I feel like that that is plenty of things hanging off of. Uh, and you could connect so much more through just one of those if you have like a, a Thunderbolt breakout box or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And so, and then that, honestly, that's one of the biggest reasons I'm looking forward to the USB-C Thunderbolt 3 transition because... You know, we finally will have like more, assuming that, that these are real and assuming that the laptops, at least some of them are getting four ports total. I would love to have four USB ports on a laptop. I'm always running, I'm always using like both of mine. Usually like at least one of them is charging something or something else. Like I'm always using those when I travel. So that'd be, you know, I'm looking forward to this future. But I, I do wonder like, 
it's such a weird wild card. It's like, you know, assuming this is the 13-inch MacBook 1 and not 13-inch MacBook Pro, how, why do they justify having four ports on the 13-inch version of this computer where the 12-inch version has one? You know, it's just weird. It's like, it, this is a weird leak of what appears to be uh, a very, like, a product that raises a lot of questions. <laughs> and it might end up being awesome, whatever it is, but uh, but they, this certainly, yeah, this certainly raises a lot of questions. It still has a headphone port, too, unlike the rumored iPhone. <laughs> oh, does it? Oh, yeah, there it is. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. It's I, the weird thing to me is is the dropping of the MagSafe in this in this kind of enclosure. So like if it's if it's big enough and high powered enough to have four USB ports uh, and no MagSafe, then you know then it's charging through this. Then and if that can do it, then why then could the 15 inch also do it? I, I don't know. I don't know. It's a whole bunch of questions here. But I don't know. I, this this is looking like it's gonna it's gonna be a pretty great update. Um, as to why this one's not tapered. Um, I commend whatever decision led to this not being tapered, um, because yeah, no, I, I've I've always been all for it too. <laughs> yeah, but I'm just saying, like, if I, if I have to think of what defines the MacBook One line, it's like not only is it so insanely thin, but it wasn't thin enough that they had to make one edge like thin enough to slice cheese. Well, also, you know, key, you know, again, kind of going back to what I said last episode about like kind of defending deep keyboards because keyboards weigh almost nothing in laptops. Uh, Generally, when you're when you're defining like the 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 thickness of the laptop, you're limited really by how much you know how much weight you're willing to devote to battery, basically, because batteries are generally like one of the heaviest things inside of modern computing devices, um, if not the heaviest thing, depending on the device. And so, and the way you make computers thinner and lighter is not by just like cutting the case in half and saying, "All right, now just kind of shove everything in tighter." I mean, that's part of it, but the way you make them thinner and lighter is you first make them lighter. By removing battery, and you remove battery by removing the need for as much battery as you had before, which usually comes in power advancements in how much power the screen and processor both draw. Usually, the processor is the bigger one, but anyway. So the idea is, you know, you you develop technology, you develop savings, you figure out a way to make the processor and everything else use less power. Then you need less less battery mass in there to achieve the same battery life you had before to achieve what people consider acceptable. So then you can shrink the battery, and then you can kind of shrink the case around it. Like, now you have free space, and now it's like, all right, how how thin can we, can we make this case that only has to hold X amount of battery plus the other, the other parts? I think the reason the MacBook 1 is as thin as it is, and, and the reason it's wedge-shaped is because they were probably first targeting a weight goal because that makes more sense. You know, it's like, okay, well, now Intel's making this new 5-watt CPU so, that, so we can make it fanless and everything. So if you make a computer that's small enough with a small enough screen that uses this CPU, it'll only need this little tiny amount of battery inside. So then how do we make the thinnest case possible to contain these parts? And they had to still have some, even though it's very little, some room for a keyboard in there. So... But they didn't need the wrist rest area that was filled with battery. They didn't need that to be any thicker. Because any thicker, and they would have just been empty space, or more battery which would have driven the weight up, and which they didn't want. So you make the front of it as thin as it can be while still holding that battery, and you make the back of it as thick as it needs to be to fit the keyboard and the other parts, and that's how you get a wedge shape. So they weren't, they weren't necessarily targeting the wedge. They did the wedge because they just didn't need any more space in the front half of the laptop. So if this, you know, if this part is real and if this is actually a member of the MacBook One line and not the MacBook Pro line, it certainly raises the question of what the heck is all that extra space for? And as far as I can guess, didn't the MacBook One's 
um, CPU architecture that with that with the crazy Intel five watt thing, didn't that have like a very low limit on how many ports it could even drive with with its chipset? So maybe this isn't using those CPUs at all. Maybe this is using some other Intel low low wattage chip that's higher end than the than the uh, Core M, and then that's how it's driving all these ports. But then it needs all this additional battery to to function and to to have an acceptable battery life, which of course then raises the question of well, what the heck is the difference between that and the MacBook Pro? All that empty space in the front is for uh, speaker cavities, right? Like on the iPad Pro? Four speakers. <laughs> i tell you what, that'd be awesome. <laughs> that'd be amazing, but no, I doubt it. We have so much space left over in this case, we don't even know what to do with it. <laughs> speaker cavities. <laughs> speaker cavities for everybody. All right, anything else about these laptops? I, I, I'm looking forward to, to hearing what these actually are and seeing them. Because I, I, as you said, Casey, like, you know, ch- major changes to, to like the, the Mac designs don't happen very often. And especially to like the main workhorse computers. Like it's one thing to introduce a brand new tiny little MacBook One at, at an event. But, you know, everyone's still using MacBook Pros. It's a whole other thing to totally redesign the MacBook Pro or the iMac, or the Mac Pro. Like these, are, these are major events in the product line, um, and it's exciting. And it's exciting you know, for, for those of us who have and love our Macs. It's, it's, it's kind of reassuring. It's nice to know that the company that seems like it cares a whole lot more about iOS devices, that they haven't forgotten about the Mac in the process, that the Mac is still being actively developed, being evolved, and, you know, and having attention put on it, really. Yeah, and the thing is, to kind of build on what you and I had both said earlier, is that they clearly, Apple clearly takes messing with the MacBook Pro and even the the non-Pro line very seriously. Like, they don't tend to make really crummy decisions. Like, yeah, we all all, uh, complained and moaned a little bit about the MacBook One, but at least you could understand what they were going for there. And for them to be messing with a design that really does work. I mean, I have loved every MacBook Pro I've ever owned. And and I love the one that work gave me. And, and I'm, I'm very anxious to see this new one. Uh, because if they're going to change something that, that is so important and that, and that works so well, because the design that they have today I really do love, then it's going to have to be something good. This isn't the playground like the iPhone or the iPad where things change fairly frequently. This is kind of the slow and steady wins the race um, sort of uh, product for them. And so because of that, I'm really, really anxious and really, really excited to see it and also dreading it because then I'm going to want to buy a laptop and I really don't need a laptop right now. Our first sponsor this week is Casper, an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. Go to casper.com slash ATP and use code ATP for $50 towards your mattress. Casper created one perfect mattress sold directly to you, the consumer, eliminating all these commission-driven and inflated prices that you see in mattress stores. This is an award-winning mattress that, they did, that Casper developed in-house with a sleek design and a great delivery system where they deliver this mattress in this compressed state, in this box that's actually small enough you can get it upstairs if you like live in an apartment building or you're going up to like a third floor you don't have to worry about how the heck we're going to get a new mattress up there even king size you can bring up there and now in addition to the mattress casper also offers an adaptive pillow and soft breathable sheets now casper has revolutionized the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing that savings directly to you an in-house team of engineers spent thousands of hours developing the casper mattress it combines springy latex and supportive memory foams for a sleep service with just the right sink and just the right bounce and its breathable design sleeps cool to help you regulate your temperature throughout the night and all this is available 
for a shockingly fair price. Now, good mattresses often cost well over $1,500, but a Casper mattress costs just $500 for a twin, $750 for full, $850 for queen, and $950 for king. And at the, even at these prices, these are all made in America. Now, they've also made buying mattresses online easy and completely risk-free with free delivery and free returns with a 100-night home trial. If you don't love it, after a 100 nights of sleeping on it, they will pick it up at your house and give you a full refund. Now, they understand the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit, especially considering you're going to spend a third of your life on it. So you can try it for a 100 nights. And we've all heard great things about Casper from our friends and family who have them. Check it out today. Try it for 100 nights in your own home, risk-free, free delivery, free returns with home pickup. Go to casper.com slash ATP and use code ATP for $50 towards your mattress. Thanks to Casper for sponsoring our show. All right, so sticking with hardware for a moment, let's talk about this rumored external 5K display. This is all coming back again. I don't remember when it was we talked about this, but it was quite a while ago. It's all coming up tipster. It's all coming up tipster. And so uh, just earlier today, as we record this, there's been increased rumors about uh, the potential of a new cinema display or Thunderbolt display, given that stock seems to be running out everywhere. So any new thoughts on this? Do we think this is real? Or is John finally getting his external retina display so he can get his uh, stupid trash can Mac Pro? What, What are we thinking? The story, the angle on the story I've seen, I think we did discuss all this in past episodes. Maybe we did it off air. Maybe we all happened in the chat room. It all kind of blends together. But the uh, the angle on the story is, hey, new 5K display is fine. But then everyone's like, oh, how are they going to plug this into Macintosh computers and make an image appear on the screen? And everyone is going through all the display port specs and seeing that they don't uh, give enough bandwidth and trying to figure it out and going in around and around. And eventually the gpu and the display idea comes out um so just as a review in case we actually didn't discuss this and it was all in the chat room the the idea is that you can't power it with display port because there's not enough bandwidth you unless you connect two wires which is kind of what it happens internally on the on the imac or can happen externally on uh, a current mac but everyone believes that apple won't do that because it's gross <laughs> you don't want to have two wires connected to your actual display um and intel is not going to have the uh, what is it display port 1.4 or whatever whatever standard it is that has the bandwidth to power a 5k 1.3 i believe uh maybe it's 1.3 maybe it's 1.4 but either way it's not going to be in the skylake things it's not going to be in the next one even i think it's like it's a long ways out so even though display port will eventually support it doesn't look like any of the current macs are going to um and so the only thing left is something weird and people think proprietary but really it's not proprietary it's just plain old thunderbolt because remember the thunderbolt spec has bandwidth allocated for data transfer and also display port um and the idea is they will ignore a display port it will connect to it as if it's just a thunderbolt 3 device and it will you'll be running pci express over a wire and the thing at the other end of the wire will, will be this monitor that has some sort of pci express terminator so that from the perspective of the mac that you have connected to it it looks like the monitor itself is a video card uh, and then the, then it starts to get hazy and like, well, is the GPU entirely in the monitor? Maybe for laptops that don't even have a GPU that can drive it anyway, the GPU and the monitor will handle it. But what about something like the Mac Pro, where surely the Mac Pro itself will have a better GPU than the monitor? Well, if they update it, it might. Yeah, it will use this internal <laughs> GPU, but then just use PCI Express to communicate uh, that the image information over to the monitor, and then the monitor will act as a PCI Express device, even though all the GPU stuff is happening on the Mac Pro. Anyway, bottom line is, not DisplayPort. That's the that's the, the answer that we all think of how they're going to drive 
uh, this 5K monitor from a bunch of Macs. They're going to use Thunderbolt uh, and use it as uh, the same as all those Thunderbolt PCI Express breakout boxes, only this will be a breakout monitor box. Yeah, I mean, this is another one of those things where, like, there's a lot of people making a lot of, like, blanket statements of, well, this isn't possible because of X. And, you know, the reality is this stuff is all very complicated. Most of us who are making these statements don't have a full understanding of all the stuff that's involved and what actually is possible and what actually isn't possible and what's needed and what's kind of just a thing we heard. Um, The reality is the more I learn about this, the more I learn that it's way more complicated than I thought. There are actually ways to do it. (laughs) <laughs> with with current hardware or or with near future hardware uh and so it's really just a question of like you know has everything gotten together in time and you know what will support it and when will it come out and what will it plug into and it seems like oh, the answer to almost all those things is kind of like well that's up to apple <laughs> so <laughs> i think it's too early to say really and they've had a long time to work this out and apple does have experience for example having dual gpu laptops and dealing with the gpu switching that's another question people have like how can you have a gpu in the monitor what if you yank the cable out of the monitor first of all yanking the cable out of monitors historically has always been a little bit weird <laughs> not just when you're doing them <laughs> over thunderbolt right uh but apple has some experience dealing with uh multiple gpus running multiple displays and laptops granted not all of that experience is great but Presumably, Apple's the company can, that can do it because they know all the hardware involved. They, they control the monitor side. They control the Mac side. And surely they will be limited to support for, you know, for a certain collection of Macs that can do this. And it will probably require a new OS update and all this other stuff. And we've just waited so long. Like, how, how long has the Thunderbolt display been out for? I think I saw the date filed by. It's been like four years, five years. I don't know. It's, it's been a long time. Yeah, well, it's, and it's especially because it's, it's barely different from the LED Slimo display that came right before it. Right, they just updated it with a Thunderbolt, with the having more ports and going over Thunderbolt. Yeah, July 20, 2011. There you go. Yeah, it's a long time. So, uh, so it is entirely technical, technically possible now for Apple to launch both a new Mac Pro, Apple, please, uh, and <laughs> or a external five K display that a bunch of the laptops that they will also introduce can drive. Now, is it possible that existing laptops can drive it too? Probably, maybe, especially if there's a GPU in the monitor that's sufficient to drive the monitor itself. Um, and this will be a weird solution, but it's better than waiting for the next, waiting for the DisplayPort spec that supports us and waiting year, many more years for Intel chipsets to support them. Like, this is far preferable. So I really want Apple to do this. We've all waited long enough for an external 5K display. It's time. And a Mac Pro update. Well, I'm I'm willing to believe that is not in the cards for WWC. Like I'm trying to keep my expectations tamped down, but surely <laughs> announcement of new laptops and surely an announcement of a 5K display. Come on, come on. Although I keep seeing more people like, oh yeah, Q4 definitely later in the year. So they could even they could even skip this and announce it not a WWC. I don't understand why they would, but they could if they wanted to give all the glory of the WWC stage to I don't know what could possibly trump this iPhone stuff, uh, Swift stuff, renaming Mac OS and iOS. I don't know. Like, who knows what they have planned. But this year, for sure, right, guys? Mm. <laughs> I, I sure hope not. I mean, I'm really excited for you. I hope it works out. I don't know if I can handle you, it. It doesn't, you know, even if they release the new Mac Pro, you know John's not going to buy it. That's true. Oh, you don't know that. You don't know that at all. Saving my pennies. 
Mm-hmm. You're gonna first. First, you're gonna say, "Well, I want to wait and see, make sure that it doesn't have any big problems. I want to wait for other people to buy it first. Well, of course, I'm gonna do that. Of course, I'm gonna do that no matter what about everything. Right. And so then, so six months in, we're gonna remember to ask you about it's it. Like, I don't have to wait six months to find. And out. we're gonna say, "Hey, John, remember when you said you were waiting for the first people to to buy the Mac Pro? So now it's been a while. There's no problems. So when are you gonna buy it? And then you're gonna be like, "Well, so true. I wish it had better GPUs or." The gaming performance isn't that good here, and, and oh, you know, so it's so expensive, and so I think my Mac Pro is still going to work for a little bit longer. I can get a few more years <laughs> out of it until the next one, and then two years into the cycle, I'll be like, well, now it's pretty old. I might as well wait till the next one comes out. <laughs> <laughs> this Mac's going to break true. someday, right? It can't oh, last forever. Gosh. I don't know. Those 08 Mac Pros are pretty solid. It is tempting to try to go for 10 years, though, isn't it? <laughs> no. Oh, no, God, it's not. God. Oh my lord! Would you would you go ten years like for milk in your fridge? No, like it doesn't it doesn't it's matter what the number it's is. Hardware. <laughs> this is not the kind of area where you should achieve incredible longevity of like your main computer just for the just for the heck of it. <laughs> this would be great when uh, I upgrade my PS4 to a faster version while my Mac sits there, continues not to be upgraded. Yeah how how many gaming systems have you bought in the time you've had that Mac Pro? All of them? No, not all of them. N64 came out before this, right? Oh, my God. I think the 360... You you, you never have a 360, right? No. I I think the 360 came out before it, but... Did the PS3... No, the PS3 was before. That was like 06 or something like that, right? Yeah, it's not... Console generations for like seven years for the PS3 generation, (laughs) so I haven't bought that many. Oh, God. All right. Uh, What else is going on? Let's see here. Um, We didn't talk about Apple potentially opening up Siri and developing an Echo rival. We mentioned the article, but then we got off on another tangent about Apple and services and stuff. We would never do that. Us? But that was was the the headline of the story was, you know, uh, uh, an Echo rival and the Siri opening up. I guess we didn't talk too much about the API aspect of it, but we mostly just talked about Apple and services. Yeah, so apparently Apple may be opening up Siri. There may be an Echo rival, and uh, that's about all we know, which is to say basically nothing. Was this the article that said, or maybe I heard this somewhere else, that the idea of opening up Siri is that it wouldn't be as open as the skills are on the Echo. It would still be more kind of, at least initially, for like select partners to have Siri integration. Like I, I don't quite understand what the holdup is on having an official API for Siri. Apple loves APIs. WWDC is all about APIs like they're all just look at these great new APIs integrate this into your app integrate that into your app your app should have one of these and yet Siri it's like no nothing for you this year like it's been so long (laughs) it it seems like they could have come up with the safest possible Siri integration maybe it would be useless maybe no one use it but like get the ball rolling on the idea that Siri is not just like this feature of your phone but rather is an API that your apps can integrate with to make, you know, your apps can make Siri more useful in the same way that share sheets made like every app on the system more useful. Just implement the new share sheet API and suddenly everybody's apps can all work together to make everybody's phones more useful. Siri should be exactly the same, but isn't. I I really hope that this report is true, that there is a Siri API being unveiled soon um, because as a developer, I would love it. And there are so many things that that I like, I would love for myself to have access to it. I would love for other developers to have access to it. I would love to, as a user, for other developers to have access to it so I can do so much better stuff with Siri. Um, I really hope this is real. I recognize it's a very hard problem to solve in a way that Apple would be happy with. And it is not that surprising to me that they don't have an API, that they haven't had an API yet up to this point because it is a very hard problem to solve in a way Apple would find tolerable. Uh, But... It, it's it's time. 
it's really time, you know, as we see other other voice assistant platforms having APIs and adding APIs and coming soon with APIs. Um, it, this is an area where I just really hope Apple keeps up, I guess. And, you know, as we talked about last week, I, I really, really hope that they that they remain competitive in this area because it's, it's exciting. It, it could be really cool. It's, it's very useful a lot of times. And uh, I hope I can participate in that as an Apple user and as, a, and as an Apple developer. You know, thinking of the APIs and thinking of what the the uh, Amazon Echo Skills system is, it's it's not like Apple hasn't done APIs like that before. I'm thinking of the Passbook API before they changed it to Wallet or remember, remember what was that that was like. It was pretty easy for you know airlines or whatever to integrate with Passbook. It was just like it was very webby. It was very sort of make a, a restish endpoint that sends and receives JSON in this format and sends some simple markup. Um, and in the app, it looked like these little cards. And, you know, I think it's probably the same API for the wallet thing. I don't think they've changed it that much. That is exactly the API that you could use for skills in terms of integrating Siri, not with with iOS apps, but just with other backend services and stuff like that, to be able to ask Siri questions and have skills installed to let Siri ask something other than Wolfram Alpha to get questions about, <laughs> I don't know, sports, like ask ESPN for more detailed sports information or whatever, like that type of system. That is an API. It's not like Apple has never made those APIs before. They've done it. It's rare, um, but it's possible, and it's you know it's successful. Like Passbook and all that stuff had pretty wide adoption pretty quickly because it's like we don't really care that much. We don't know how much people are going to use it, but it's so easy to do. Throw one web developer at it for a few weeks. Every airline did it, and it was fine. And it continues to sort of lurch along. Right? They could do that with Siri easily. Maybe they just don't think that's sufficient. Maybe they have bigger plans with this the new, you know, whatever rumored, uh, much better Siri. The other thing I was thinking of is that if they're doing the whole Mac OS renaming with the lowercase MAC capital OS, uh, it's a good time to perhaps think about, and, and if Siri is going to appear on the new version of the Mac operating system, a good time to think about rebranding slash combining spotlight and Siri, which have been sort of merging and dancing around each other for years. I don't know who wins probably Siri instead of spotlight, but how can you have two different things that are all very similar? They really should be integrated UI-wise, branding and conceptually. It's kind of confusing to have them like that. So this would be a good time to unify those brands too. Um, and if you did that, Spotlight does have an extension mechanism where you can write plugins to let your your files be indexed on your Mac or whatever. Um, that's another good time to add a Siri API because once they're combined into one thing, then you can add an API for, I don't know, like... Again, Apple, that's what WDC is all about. It's all about sessions where they have new APIs that you can use to make your apps cooler and that usually Apple wants you to incorporate. They're they're practically begging you to think of a reason. Think of a way that you can incorporate this new API <laughs> uh, in all the sessions. Like, you may not think you need this API in your app, but let me show you some examples. You can add, you know, a rotating 3D cube in the corner, so you should use SceneKit. Like, uh, <laughs> like they're very gung-ho about we have great new APIs and you should incorporate them because by incorporating the new APIs you add value to Apple's platform and show its unique value proposition because Apple believes these APIs are you know something that the other platforms don't have uh, things to compete with or that their APIs are more complicated or whatever so yeah I guess this is the time of year where everything seems possible at WWC all our dreams will come true and everything we uh, had thought of will be announced at the keynote and we'll have 15 sessions but obviously they can't all fit in, so we'll see what gets dropped on the floor. So quick aside, are you in favor of or against uh, OS X becoming Mac OS? Uh, aesthetically, I'm pretty against, but uh, in terms of it's time for a rebrand, I'm for. 
like i don't like the lowercase m m a c o s but uh, i think it's just like they drop the cats if you want to rename it after so many versions to do a different thing get rid of the the 10 and the x thing and like i don't know yeah sure rename it but i really don't like the lowercase thing but i'll live with it i think it'd be good i think it's time i'm ready yeah me too i'm i'm in favor you know the capitalization of the mac aside you know i don't really have a strong opinion on that you know i would i think it'd be cool if it was capital because it's it kind of be you know an old school reference and kind of just fits it's better old school reference if there's no space but um <laughs> but yeah oh, sorry it's a different name we have a new sponsor this week we are sponsored by eero e-e-r-o eero now eero is a new wi-fi router company for really high-end wi-fi at home this is like enterprise grade wi-fi to get at home and it's super easy to set up and super modern so here's how this works now Almost everybody I know who has ever had Wi-Fi in the house, which is almost everybody, there's always like areas of low reception or dead zones or parts that are just really slow. Uh, What you really need is multiple access points, multiple Wi-Fi routers to cover the area of your house. It's just it's very hard to have one super powerful one that you put hopefully near the middle of your house and have that have adequate coverage. So what Eero is is a system that makes it super easy to have multiple Wi-Fi routers in your house that all talk to each other and automatically configure themselves. So you basically just plug them in wherever you need them roughly one per thousand square feet. So most homes in the U.S., you'd have either two or three of them. You designate one of them as your router, and you plug that one in with a wire to your your, your modem or your internet connection or whatever. You plug that into Ethernet. The other two, you just plug those in somewhere else in your house, and they communicate with each other on a secondary mesh network. And so it's faster than wi- than typical Wi-Fi range extenders because it uses dual radios. You don't have to worry about the, the throughput being horrible. Uh, and it's automatically configured through their really nice app. So it really basically solves the home Wi-Fi coverage problem in a way that uh, it's – I've never seen anything that was as easy to set up as this. So you guys have them, right? How, what do you think? Uh, I'm, I'm really impressed. I wasn't sure if I would just throw them on and then kind of try them out and then put them away, but I think they have replaced my very old Airport Extreme. All right. Sounds good. Well, if you check it out yourself, visit Eero.com. That's E-E-R-O.com slash A-T-P. Use our special code there, A-T-P, for free overnight shipping at checkout. So thanks a lot to Eero for sponsoring our show. So iPhone seven, another talk or maybe tick. I didn't I didn't see this. Tuck. Tell me about this. Talk here. <laughs> Christina Warren's article at Mashable talking about the iPhone seven. We've talked a lot about it already, you know, dropping the headphone port and we've seen the spy shots where it looks a lot like the iPhone six, but the antenna lines are a little bit moved around and the big one's gonna have two cameras and so on and so forth. Um this story was a sort of meta story about okay, assuming all that's pretty much the case, hey, the iPhone seven doesn't really look that different than the iPhone 6. And for a long time now, the iPhone has been on the thing where they make a new case design, then they put faster innards in it, then they make a new case design, then put faster innards in it. And they're calling this a TikTok strategy. Unfortunately, now that Intel has left the TikTok strategy and I have a solid grasp exactly on what is the tick and what is the talk, really, <laughs> they said, oh, the iPhone 7 will be as if it was TikTok talk when really it should be talk tick tick it's confusing i know anyway the iphone 7 would really be another tick because tick is the shrink and the shrink is the boring one where it's the same thing but they just put it at a smaller size so and the talk is the exciting one the new architecture or whatever anyway so the iphone 6 new form factor look different than its predecessor phone entirely um the iphone 6s looks like the 6 faster innards and the iphone 7 
also kind of looks like the success with faster innards. And the the angle on the story is that this is a new three-year cycle for phones, that they're not going to do the every-other-year thing. They're slowing down a little bit, possibly permanently or possibly just because the iPhone 8 will be like the 10-year anniversary of the iPhone. And the rumors about that one are like it's edge-to-edge glass and it's super thin and it's glass all over and it looks like it's really radical and amazing and wouldn't it be great to have a 10-year anniversary of the iPhone with just this amazing new design that's something that no one ever thought of. So maybe... The iPhone 7 year, this year, is going to be a kind of boring year for a change where, yeah, it's going to be faster and cool and have different antenna lines and maybe some different colors uh, and all the great stuff that we love. And the big one will have two cameras and do all cool things. But next year is the big one where the phone is going to look totally different and it's going to blow your mind because the Touch ID sensor will be integrated into the screen and it won't have any uh, frame around the glass and who knows what the heck else it'll have. Um, and I'm not quite sure how I feel about that because I am I have a 6 and I skipped the success, and I was thinking of getting a seven. But if a seven looks the same, and if I know the eight is going to be the crazy ten-year anniversary one, this is going to be like my Mac Pro all over again. Am I going to keep this iPhone oh, six, the, fir- the first <laughs> and only iPhone I've ever owned? How long am I going to keep using this? Because you know what, my iPhone six is fine. Like it's it's still good. I still like it. The battery life is still decent. You're accustomed to using crappy iPod Touch hardware, John. Trust me, we we need to teach you as a first-time iPhone owner. We need to teach you how to be an iPhone owner. I need to get one every two years. I need to get one every year if I want to be like you crazy people. You're a tech podcaster. Just get one every year. It's part of your job. Yeah, I agree. Uh, my, my wife has a 6S Plus. Like, I see that it's faster and everything. It's also giant, but I don't, know. I, I don't think I need a new phone every... I'll think about it. You do. You know, uh, <laughs> At least you every do. two. At least every two. But but then, like, then if I get the 7, then when the 10-year anniversary one comes out and it's awesome, I'll be even more resistant to getting it. I don't know. I really have to think about this. I really have to see what the 7 is like. When you get the 6S, the 6SS, or the, whatever one comes out this year. <laughs> I don't think they're going to go with SS. Just off the top of my head. Uh, yeah. <laughs> let's let's hope not. So, so w- when you get the one that comes out this year, and then next year, just one year later, an amazing new one comes out, get that one too. Mm, i don't know you're a tech podcaster this is what we do yeah that's the thing like i always wanted to go on the annual cycle and could never justify it to myself and then it occurred to me we do make a little bit of money off of this show it is sponsored for a reason and you know what a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars or however much a damn iphone is these days where are you getting your iphone what, what, what the hell much are they no they're like they're like 800 <laughs> bucks now i don't it's even factoring I, in the cost of the uh the data plan <laughs> yeah, totally. That was, that's what it was. It, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But anyway, uh, no, but the point is, you know, even a well, well-equipped iPhone, you know, it's, what is it, like 800 bucks? At that, it's 900 Yeah, bucks. about that. Yeah. So once a year, I think I can afford that. And I do consider it to be part of the job of doing this podcast. And and I don't think that's true of everyone. Like, Erin, I've offered to get her a new phone on off years for her. And she's, eh, I don't think I really need it. And that's fine. I, I don't think that's a bad thing. Before the podcast, I wanted it, but I never did it. But, John, you, you make a few dollars from the show. It's time. Isn't this why we do the podcast? All right. My, my wife has this year's phone, and she has a 5K iMac. She's all swanky in the fancy new hardware. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm the, uh, the one with the... On the other hand, I, I have been buying more games recently, so... That's how I spoil myself. I mean, it is the polite thing to do as as the tech podcaster to make sure that your the other members of your family are adequately set up with good technology. So you're you're doing that part right, but you know you, you do have to you know think of yourself as well here. You, you don't buy an iPhone and sit on it for three years because the next one might be good. Well, anyway, my particular use aside, what do you guys think of having like a an 
an off year where they just kind of cruise with like another S revision while we wait for what we hope will be an amazing new one. Do you think that's a good idea, a bad idea? Can they lower the price if they do that? Can they get they get their margins up? Like, why is this something that Apple would do? I mean, let's you know think about it. you know first of all as a huge disclaimer here, um, we are you know this is what we're really talking about is an external case design. Like every new generation of iPhone has been a substantial upgrade from the one before it so far. You know the the ones that are that have the S on the end look about the same or exactly the same, but they still have really significant upgrades. All of them have. So what we're talking about here, if if they actually do what what this rumor might say, they're really just saying like you know we're not going to change the case this time. You know normally we would have changed the case this time this, but you know now we're going to give it another year and change the case next year. That matters a lot less, really, than everything else all told. I mean, granted, sometimes the case changes come with things like screen size changes, which is nice and important. Uh, but, you know, ultimately, I think uh, it's not that big of a deal. As long as they have the, like, a good set of iPhone guts, as long as it's a good phone and it's, and it's a decent upgrade from the 6S in, in important ways, like, if, you know, if the rumors are true that, like, the camera is getting a lot better, especially in the plus size one, then that's a big deal, you know? Um, so, you know, it all depends on, like, what else they upgrade. If it's a compelling upgrade for the, for the privileged of us who upgrade every year that all talk about how good it is or how good it isn't, it'll be fine. If it's a compelling upgrade for all the people who still have two and three year old phones to want to upgrade now instead of waiting for the crazy rumor to all glass one next year or whatever, that's good for them too. I do think though, given the state of iPhone sales and being, you know, the the growth is slowing and they're under all the scrutiny now, I do think the timing of this is not good. You know, it's obviously this was probably decided before these quarterly results came in, uh, but certainly the timing of an appearance of them slowing down or not trying as hard, whether or not they actually are slowing down, and no matter how hard they are trying, it, it will appear as though they're like slacking off if they do this again. So I'm I'm totally up for it. I I don't really care for the six design that much, but it's fine. It's good enough. I care more about the way the phone works than the internals. Um, so I'll be okay. You know, most of us will be okay. People who buy the phones without doing a whole lot of research will be okay. But I think in the public eye and for a lot of the for a lot of the press, I think it will not be well received uh, because people will think Apple is kind of phoning it in. No pun no pun intended. Well, but there are <laughs> potential upsides. I can think of a couple upsides. One potentially the battery life could be better because if they're not making it thinner like that's the rumor that not only will it look the same but that it'll essentially like the cases will still fit in everything like or at the very least it's it won't be any thinner they always go down in power and find ways to, to eke out a little bit more power from you know the components if they keep the same amount of battery battery life should be better there right it will also presumably be cheaper for them to make because they won't have to have you know new tooling and everything and and, and build those costs into the, the line of phones so they could either lower the price for consumers, which would make them sell more, or they could have higher margins on the ones they do sell. So potentially, even though it could be boring aesthetically and there could be stories written about how, like you said, they're not really trying or whatever, when it comes time to report results, depending on which one of those levers they tried to pull, they could have increased customer sat because battery life is better. They could have higher ASP because it's cheaper for them to make them, or they could have more sales because they could actually sell it for a lower price, or at least like adjust the prices. Like the top end one will still be the same price because that would be a bad signal to send, but they could mess with the prices. And by the way, luckily it seems like 
I'm just I'm just believing what I want to believe. But anyway, there were stories about the low end model still being 16 gigs, and then there were follow up stories that said, no, 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 don't worry, the bottom end will be 32. If they make the bottom end 32, that will also increase customers. That probably won't increase their cost of goods any because people probably won't even sell them the stupid 16 gig chips anymore because it's insane. <laughs> um, so financially speaking, like in terms of what results they report and how many of these things they sell and everything. An, uh, a another S revision could actually be really good for Apple and really good for consumers, especially if they actually do S stuff to it. So the 6S, they tried to make less slippery, like the outside is a little bit less slippery, right? And they, you know, uh, up, obviously upgrade all the components. And if there were any sort of manufacturing problems with it, like it was a little bit bendy in the 6, so they made the 6S stiffer. <laughs> if they keep doing that stuff, like if this is yet another S where it's like, it's you know it's even less slippery and it's even stiffer and we've made it lighter and it gets better battery life and of course the the components are all you know revised and faster and all this other good stuff this could really be like they've never had three shots at the same phone essentially before this could really be sort of a you know a third attempt at building a iphone 6 shaped phone where they've learned so much from the past two years of doing that this will really be a great phone to buy but when you look at it from the outside, it'll be boring. And then whatever the 10-year anniversary phone is, however you know radical that is, that in theory could have a bunch of weird problems, but it will sell like hotcakes because it'll be sexy and new and everything. So uh, I like breaking up cycles like this. Any type of cycle you kind of get into, it starts to feel like you're, in, you're into a rut for a while. And I think there are a lot of potential upsides to this, but if you're going for like glam and trying to, to wow people, I'm thinking of like showing this on the stage. It, traditionally, showing the new iPhone has been especially when it's like uh you know an even year or whatever odd year like when when we're expecting the the big redesign has been like woo and ah i can't imagine that much ooing and ahhing over the iphone 7 except for maybe the dual camera thing on, on the plus stuff um i guess we'll just have to save the ooh and ahhing for the 10 year anniversary and, and whatever that's gonna look like Ooh, <laughs> you know i agree um uh. i agree mostly with marco that i think that the fallout from the media will be ugly um, well and not just the media the public you know like apple gets a lot of crap from regular people from the customers whenever mm-hmm. they don't change the outside design it's it is not just like a couple articles from from like tech media trolls it's it's actually like people care about this no that's a good point point. and a lot of people say oh i'm holding on you know i don't want to bother with an s i want the new case uh and they so i'm holding on for the seven or what have you um i do think i don't know if i'd go so far as to say it's a good idea but i I don't, I'm not frustrated by it. And I, and you know, like I was saying a few minutes ago, I like that my MacBook Pros over the last few years have been basically the same. They've gotten a little bit thinner and a little bit lighter, but the battery life has kept about the same. They've gotten faster. They've gotten better. They've gotten retina screens. I, it's a, it's a formula that works and I'm, I don't have a problem with just iterating on a formula that works. I think that there are perhaps better choices of case design than the six, but I don't dislike it. And if the formula works, I don't have a problem with them sticking with it, but the fallout from the press and to Marco's point a second ago from regular people is just going to be intolerable. And there'll be a part of me that'll be like, Oh, that's sad that we're not getting a new one this year. But in the grand scheme of things, I wouldn't be upset about it. So I, I don't know. We'll see it. It, it would be a very fascinating. It, it would be fascinating to see the reaction if they do have a six, double s <laughs> they're not gonna call it that though no certainly not but whatever and they can't call it 6s plus i already used that name would they call it the seven even if it looks the same i would guess so 
It's, it's to me, to me, I think if they call it a seven, that would make the the negative reception even worse. Uh, like you know, the negative superficial reaction because people would be like, remember, remember with with like the iPhone five. It was the four S. The four S was the one that made everyone lo- lose their crap because it was like, whoa, it's supposed to be the five, and it's only a four with a letter. Yeah, like I'm gonna wait for a five, and it's it was like this massively like upgraded phone with all these all this new stuff with Siri with like a way faster yeah, the, chip the, and everything. The four S was a great phone. Too. <laughs> it was an amazing. It was a great upgrade. <laughs> And yeah, and then you know everyone freaks out because they didn't call it five. Well, that's why I think they have to name it the seven, though. They have to give it the, like you can't if you do it the other way, it just reinforces the story. You have to give it the seven because they'll be like, well, it doesn't look that interesting, but the number is one bigger, so I guess it's new. They, they I mean, <laughs> I see the argument for that, but I, I feel like they, I feel like that would make people even more mad that like they call this the seven. It's the same as the last one, you know. Like I, I feel like that would that would make that worse. Yeah, uh, I I think you got to put the number because like there even even if the story will then be this this doesn't justify the number seven. Not having the number seven is worse. Yeah, I, that's where I'm coming from because then you then you then you're then you're like buying into the story. Anyway, they could just go to they could just drop the letters and say this is the new iPhone or the numbers rather. Here here's here's how you solve this problem. You ready? One simple problem: you call it the seven, and you change all three four. You change all four colors. Yeah, like you can even call them the same names and just make all of them like lighter or darker. Just make them all look different, visibly different. Blue Dalmatian and flower power. It's time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Stephen Hackett has finally had his day. I would honestly, I would love cool colored iPhones personally, but like even just even if you keep the same colors like, that you offer now, like the names, just change them all. Make them all look, make the phone look visibly different, even if it's the exact same stupid case, the exact same design. <laughs> like they say, make make everything that matters you know make make it all like the same physically but make it just look different and people would be happy with that just you can kill, still call it space gray though because everything is called space gray even <laughs> yeah, though all the grays are entirely different yeah, how, <laughs> so. how many space grays have there been <laughs> about 14 oh goodness no i don't know we'll see what happens but uh it'll be an interesting fall if that's the case and i don't know i i'm there's a large part of me that thinks maybe just slowing down isn't a bad thing. I mean, we keep the three of us, especially keep talking about how, um, how Apple stretched so thin and how they've got so much going on. Now, granted, that's usually about software, but still it may be nice for Apple to have a rebuilding year. That may not be <laughs> such a terrible thing. And Wall Street just imploded. I mean, the, oh, <laughs> the, you, nobody should suggest that, that the way for Apple to slow down is to release the iPhone less often. <laughs> Oh, oh my god all right casey you should not direct apple <laughs> sorry <laughs> i mean in all fairness neither should i but still <laughs> that's the one option they should not do well i mean sure for the purpose of wall street which granted is kind of the purpose for that entire company existing is to please wall street in many ways but i don't know it, it would just be cool to see them breathe for a second and take a breath and and make the iphone 8 even more amazing than we ever could have imagined. But they got. They should call it the iPhone 10. They're going to skip eight and nine and call it the iPhone 10 because it'll be the 10 year anniversary. They can use Roman numerals if they want. They'll take the Roman numeral away from the Mac operating system and give it to the iPhone. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Conservation of X's. Oh god. And you have everybody saying iPhone X instead of iPhone 10. <sighs> no, they should actually call it iPhone X. Like it's not a Roman numeral. It's the <laughs> capital letter X. Confused yet? Wait till we hear your name. More stuff. iPhone times. <laughs> yeah, you don't remember the the very brief OS ten days? Do you remember that? What? No. The capital O, capital S, space, capital X. That there was 
for like 15 minutes that was going to be what they called i forget if it was like the the shared operating system between the mac and and the phone it's when they dropped iphone os and they were like the iphone runs os 10 do you remember that part of the presentation yeah during the initial iphone yeah yeah they didn't say the iphone ran mac os 10 iphone runs os 10 right and in the literature briefly in an apple's press releases there was a thing called capital o capital s space capital x that was not referring to the mac operating system later they would rename the mac operating system to that drop the mac uh, and that didn't last very long i think it was maybe a miscommunication or they changed their mind about the branding but uh it was an exciting day or two there <laughs> it would be an amazing what? troll of john gruber if they switched to roman numeral numbering for the iphones <laughs> that would be no people people can't handle roman numeral yeah although like when you do get up into the high numbers you do have to do something because the iphone 17 i don't know it just doesn't have the same ring to it but they're they're fine for a while just start using yours iphone 95 no no (laughs) microsoft has tainted that whole naming scheme (laughs) forever yeah really it's not like it was a good idea when they had it it served them well but now everyone who uses it is associated with like windows operating system and office and all those stuff even office dropped it for 365 all right our final sponsor this week is fracture fracture prints photos in vivid color directly on glass colors pop like you won't believe and it comes in a solid foam backing that is ready to mount right out of the package so all you have to do is stick the included screw in the wall and hang it up that's it these are nice big sheets of glass these thin sheets of glass with this foam backing so that it's very very lightweight it looks like there's this piece of glass hanging on your wall but because of that foam backing it's so light you don't have to worry about it like tearing the screw out of the wall or anything like that or like falling and breaking or anything it's great these these fracture prints look amazing i have them all over my office we have them all over our house we've sent them as gifts to lots of people friends relatives it is they make great gifts they make great photo prints for your house any kind of holiday, occasion, birthdays, uh, even simple things like, you know, you go, suppose you go on a trip with somebody in your family, send them pictures from the trip on, on fractures, like as a gift. It's just it's so many great uses for fractures. If you're going to get photos printed to hang up on the wall or to stick on your desk, get a fracture. They are so much better than getting like a regular print and then having to figure out, well, what do I do with this? Do I put it in a drawer forever? Do I... To go to a framing store and try to get it framed, try to try to buy exactly the right size frame, and then try to mount it myself exactly aligned properly and don't get dust under the mat. It, ugh. Any other photo print is a pain, and it kind of looks old-fashioned. Fracture is modern, clean, easy, high quality, and very well-priced, too. So check it out. Go to FractureMe.com and use code ATP10 to get 10% off. Thank you very much to Fracture for sponsoring our show. Apple uh, almost bought Time Warner. I would apparently. say that. Or maybe. Eddie, according to this rumor story, I like the fact that it involves Eddie Q because now I have, so, you know, well, not really new images of him, but reinforcements of old image from that uh, that cover story when he was at the, the uh, basketball game. Oh, God, Did you see man. that? Mm-hmm. We have video of him yelling his excitement to his favorite player's face. Anyway, um, according to this rumor from the Financial Times, Eddie Q was all, we should buy Time Warner. What do you guys think? Uh, and it didn't really go anywhere, and Apple didn't buy Time Warner, but the fact that it was floated as an idea and was vaguely resulted in meetings, according to this, and uh, and that it was a thing that might be considered, kind of 
blends into the uh, we talked about it a couple weeks ago when we were talking about Jason Snell's story about Apple should do something like Netflix and sponsor its own content. That type of stuff, Apple getting into the creative content business as not as a middleman, not as a distributor, not as a store, but as a creator of original content or at least a funder of original content. I think that idea still has legs, and I just think Apple hasn't quite figured out what to do about it, which is good that they're, you know, considering all ideas and not quite sure. Like, it's it's bad to jump in with that. Time Warner itself has such a weird history as a not a great, uh, like, there's not... <laughs> not good precedent there for the aol time warner merger which was kind of a disaster i don't know if <laughs> apple wants to get in on that i don't know if they're the right company to buy they have hbo now and everything right so you can kind of see where there's some value there but on the other hand netflix has sort of gone on its on its own apple could buy netflix like so many things you can do when you have so much money piled up and maybe that's part of it maybe it's like money burning a hole in their pocket they're trying to give it back to shareholders they're trying to buy back their own stock they're doing all sorts of things to try to try to make this pile of money not quite increase at the same rate. I think they've kind of leveled it off a little bit, the rate of increase, but it's just so much money. And if they're not going to buy Google, which they probably shouldn't, really, um, and they're not going to buy Nintendo, and apparently they're not going to buy TiVo. <laughs> apparently we're never going to talk about that. <laughs> nope. Buying some company that owns the rights to a bunch of television shows um, and has an existing system made to create original content, it's not the worst idea in the world. So... Um, even though this didn't go anywhere, uh, assuming this rumored story is true, I like the idea that this is what Apple's considering doing with its money instead of, say, I don't know, I'm, I'm actually more enthused about this about than the idea of them making a car, for instance. On the other hand, this was too bad for even AOL to hold on to. <laughs> was it too bad for AOL or was AOL too bad for Time Warner? That was just... <laughs> yeah, good point. It could be either way, I guess. I forgot. But no, I mean, it, it, you know, in the world of... You know, in the areas in which Apple competes now, things you know, things that include uh, online media services and you know, possibly TV-related things. You know, the Apple TV, um, you know, with people like Amazon playing hardball, which we can get to, but I don't think there's much to discuss. Um, having good original content is important. It is strategically important. It is important for sales of, of your stuff and your devices. It is important for potential subscription services that Apple might want to launch with things like TV service or, you know, like a Netflix kind of service. So it totally makes sense why this is a plausible story and why it might make sense for Apple to do something like this. So, you know, this is the kind of thing, I mean, you know, Apple is such a big company now if you look at what other companies this size do, there's a lot of like big acquisitions and stuff for strategic reasons. Like that's totally normal. And I know Apple doesn't work just like other big companies, but you know, there's, there's going to be some similarities there. And we're, we're in a big business world with all, with all this media stuff. We, you know, we're in, we're in times where lots of money is being thrown around for very important things and, and a lot of power shifting going on, a lot of high stakes going on stuff like this is going to happen. And it makes sense. And most of it is going to, be really boring for us to talk about um, or to think too much about. <laughs> but, you know, this is this is the world we live in now. This is We're in the big leagues now. We're in big company dealings. Uh, Apple is no longer the scrappy underdog. I worry a little bit about the size of the acquisitions. Like, I like it better when Apple is buying smaller companies, especially when it comes for something that can really change the character of a company as much as getting into the content business. I like the idea of Apple getting into the content business as just one aspect of its ongoing strategy of selling digital television, movies, you know, all that kind of stuff. 
if you make a big acquisition with a company that's not as big as Apple, but is actually really big, how do you incorporate that, those assets, all that intellectual property, all those employees, all of those existing deals? How do you incorporate in the, that into Apple without it significantly changing the character of the company? So that's why I would say I would prefer smaller, more strategic purchases. So for example, if Apple could just buy HBO and the things HBO owns, right? Instead of all of Time Warner or even just by netflix like because i think they're the sizes of their business and their entanglement is not are not quite as better hey you should have bought tivo too late for that um <laughs> those type of acquisitions i feel like don't threaten don't threaten the character of apple won't distract apple from the important things it's already doing in in a businesses where it has a lot of competition but will give it table stakes to be part of the competition for you know tv set top puck boxes and having a value proposition why should you buy our puck thing well we have original content and that's why you should do this and and it, all of this as we've said many times in the past get into the whole conflict of interest where you know you sell a puck box that lets me use the netflix app but you're also competing with netflix because you have your own subscription video service and you have your own original content how does that work that's i think you know that's unavoidable at this point it's the same way that apple sells apps in the app store but also sells your apps in the app store and sometimes apple's apps are free or cheaper than yours can be and have you know to the point where you know apple is funding the development of its iWork suite with all the rest of the money it makes if you're going to try to compete with them you're not going to be you're not doing it on a, a level playing field but somehow everyone lives with the idea that apple sells software through its own app store and also lives with the idea that Apple doesn't always have to follow its own rules and all these other things. And we get along. And it's not like everyone leaves in a huff. It's harder to do that in music and movies and TV because there are fewer players and they're bigger and they're crankier. Um, but I think Apple can navigate that. Again, especially since everybody's doing it these days. Like, it's, it's just going to be expected at some point. Um, and it also makes sense in light of Apple's apparent inability to cut a reasonable deal for subscription video service, which... We know they wanted to do for a long time that they wanted to launch that with the Apple TV and just couldn't and didn't. This is another angle. Well, if we can't figure out how we can license your content and compete with cable or whatever, we'll go the bootstrap Netflix route and say, uh, we'll still sell other people's stuff, but we're going to fund our own original content. And really, in the grand scheme of things, funding your own original content, a couple hundred million dollars here and there for a couple TV shows and a movie or two, that's peanuts for Apple. They probably spend that much money like oh, I don't want to speculate about what the budgets are now because I would probably be way off base. But in the grand scheme of things for a company with hundreds of billions of dollars in the bank, it's nothing. Um, and the potential upside is huge. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm all for something happening here. I am disappointed that this is just a rumor and that it was considered and nothing happened. I'm disappointed there still is no TV subscription service, but I'm heartened to hear that ideas like this are floating around even if they do come from MediQ. Well, because content is king here you know in, in so many ways look at what people will tolerate in terms of bad devices bad apps bad services incredible expense in order to get specific content they're looking for you know the, the entire world of tv cable video movies this is like everything is just con is just dictated by like must have content and people are willing to do crazy stuff like have cable tv which if you think about it is incredibly hostile and terrible in so many different ways but people are willing to do it for specific content they get there people are willing to, to you know even even within the realm of like ios and apple tv and stuff people are willing to use 
horrible apps from other companies in order to get must-have content. People are willing to pay big money. Look how many people pay for HBO. I re- I just subscribe to whichever version of HBO doesn't require the cable subscription, whether it's now or go, I forgot. One of those. We just we subscribe to that now. The app is horrible, and we're paying $15 a month. I haven't paid a monthly fee for television shows in almost 10 years. And now we're paying for this and using their crappy app because they, there's stuff on there we really want to watch. People are willing to make decisions like that. People are willing to to use inferior apps to pay decent prices to to change entire platforms or to not use entire platforms like Apple TV or whatever because of certain content that they get in other places. So it's very very important for Apple to to play in that world. It, you know, if if the, if it's content that's keeping people away from Apple stuff or that is not that that is that is making it less of a good proposition for people or it's making it a worse experience for people to go use other things apple has to get into the content business so it it makes total sense so you hear that eddie go ahead and buy whatever companies you want you have our blessing <laughs> we say it's okay <laughs> well you know just run it past me first to give a thumbs up thumbs down obviously obviously just don't, you know, <laughs> but but beyond that yeah all right go ahead eddie have fun and if anything breaks, you know where to drive it. Thanks a lot to our three sponsors this week, <laughs> Fracture, Casper, and Eero, and we will see you next week. Now the show is over. They didn't even mean to begin because it was accidental. accidental. Oh, it was accidental. accidental. John didn't do any research. Marco and Casey wouldn't let him because it was accidental. Oh, it was accidental. accidental And you can find the show notes at atp.fm And if you're into Twitter You can follow them At C-A-S-E-Y-L-I-S-S So that's Casey Liss M-A-R-C-O-A-R-M-E-N-T Marco Arman S-I-R-A-C USA Syracuse It's Something big happened this past week. Mm, something happened this past week. <laughs> Season or series 23 of Top Gear uh, started and aired and began, etc. The new Top Gear without our dear friends, Clarkson, Hammond, and May. All three of us have watched it. I didn't watch the whole thing. I told you I only watched the beginning. I didn't have time to uh, watch the rest of it. I know you, want, know you wanted to. Well, what am I supposed to watch? I go to work, I come home, I make dinner, put the kids to bed, I do this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're the worst. Well, I'm telling you, it's spoiler city now. You so. said in the you said in the middle of the day when I'm at work, you said we should all watch Top Gear for tonight. The middle I don't know of what, the day. What time did you think I was supposed to watch this? <laughs> After you got home from work. Let's see what time the middle of the day was. Six fifty-seven in the morning. Six fifty-seven in the morning. I'd like to discuss the new Top Gear on the post show. So, Marco, if you haven't watched, please do so today. Marco, did you do your homework? I did. He's unemployed. Well, there's that, but we're also not allowed to give you homework because that's what the theme song says. Yeah. Anyway, I would have watched the rest of it if I had time, but I didn't. All right. So how far did you get? 
I, I told you I got through the first segment. I felt like that was enough. I'm going to watch the rest of it. But To be fair, that's most of all you need. Um, so spoiler horn uh, will be uh, sounding, horning, whatever the word is I'm looking for. Do we have the rights to use a spoiler horn? I don't even know. <laughs> you can use the spoiler dong. That's all in the family. <laughs> okay, so the spoiler, spoiler dong has just gone off. Um, let, I think this sh- that the new the new Top Gear, as I'll call it, shows a lot of promise. I really, really, honestly do. Really, and and if you remember, you should. And this is collective you, not you, Marco, not you, John. Just anyone, you. If you really want to see a rough car show, go watch seasons one and two of the Top Gear that had Clarkson, Hammond, and May, because they were borderline unwatchable they were so bad or the american top gear the american top gear particularly in the beginning was unwatchable i actually don't think it's bad but um pretty bad i mean teach their own uh as we've already established i'm not the arbiter of what's good and bad but um uh but yeah i mean like the first season of top of the top gear that we know didn't even have james may it had jason dawes i believe who did like a used car segment on every show or something like that i haven't seen it in many many years but it was bad. The studio audience had like 50 people in it or something like that because it seemed like nobody could be bothered with going to the set to fil- to you know be part of the filming. It was rough. This show, season 23, episode one, similarly rough. Chris Evans, I was expecting to love him because I'd heard just tons of chatter about how much of a car guy he is, a gearhead if you're American, a petrol head if you're not. I was excited to see him. He seemed like he really loved the brand. The brand seemed like he really loved uh, the opportunity. I hated Chris Evans so much. Oh, my God. Did you like him, Marco? Uh, I'm trying to think of what I liked about this. About the show or about Chris Evans? Because I was just just concentrating on Chris Evans at the moment. Uh, No. The answer is no. What you're looking for is no. Yeah, see, and I, I love Clarkson. Like he, Clarkson is bombastic and loud and obnoxious and ridiculous, but Chris Evans was just like loud for the sake of loud. I did not get it, and I did not care for it. Now, John, what did you think of Chris Evans? I've never seen him before, to my knowledge, before watching the show. He struck me as an overexcited poor man, Simon Pegg, and he <laughs> didn't give me what I was looking for. I'm looking for different things than than you are, certainly from from Top Gear. Again. First show. There's always going to be first show jitters. First segment of first show. I, I give a lot of leeway. I didn't get the impression. I, I'm i sure this is the case, but it wasn't communicated to me, uh, his enthusiasm for cars in general. Like, enthusiasm was communicated, but it seemed like non-genuine enthusiasm, not particularly focused on cars. Um, and I guess, like, it's kind of rough comparing the old Top Gear where all of the hosts were had mellowed into their roles and could relax and just kind of be themselves and had sort of established their personality. The, the old ones had sort of the uh, the Gene Hackman school of acting. Was, uh, an interview I saw with Gene Hackman once where someone was asking him about his acting technique and he says, you, if you're acting for a long enough time and you're in enough movies and you're in enough things, you develop a certain poise based on your years of experience and you pretty much know how things are going to go down. And people interpret that poise as good acting. <laughs> and so <laughs> if, if, if the host of the show, they've been doing it long enough. They kind of know what their shticks are and they do them in a relaxed man- manner and you become comfortable with it. And is it the case that the previous uh, hosts were actually wittier and more insightful about cars than these new ones? Maybe. But definitely they were 
more relaxed and more assured in their sort of roles and personalities when it comes to their positions on these cars or whatever. And in general, as you all know, I don't like the silly stunt things they do with cars. I like the part where they pretend to review cars, like as seriously as the show possibly can. That's what I like out of the show. <laughs> and I tolerate the parts where they play with a giant soccer ball with a bunch of small cars. I, I tolerate those barely. Um, so the first segment being a combination of let's review the Viper ACR and let's also do some silly thing with Top Gun. I didn't like that combination. I didn't like any of the segments. And Chris Evans just seemed overexcited about nothing. The only part I came away from that first segment liking was the fact that the uh, the jet fire pilot got sick in the car. <laughs> yeah. And Sabine is excellent. Like, I, she was relatively relatively reserved, I thought, on this episode. And I was disappointed that she got, like, three minutes of airtime. But uh, I'm super, super excited to see more of her because I've enjoyed any time she appeared on, on old Top Gear, if you will. Um, I thought the segment was fairly cheesy. I agree. Um, but I was happy that they started with something American, which was surprising. You would figure they would just triple down on all things British. Um, and then Matt LeBlanc came out and Matt LeBlanc had also been rumored to be a huge gearhead, petrol head. And I wasn't sure what to make of him. And I actually really liked him and I can't figure out if it's because I'm American and I'm just predisposed to like other Americans on the show. But I really liked him. I thought he did a great job. And and he was far and away my favorite host of the basically three that they showed, Sabine, Chris, and uh, Matt. And I, God, did I hate Chris Evans. Oh, the other thing I noticed, I actually jumped ahead. The uh, lap times that they used for the supercars, he actually rewrote all of Clarkson's little stickies or whatever in, in, in Chris Evans's hand, which I thought was kind of funny. And I also thought the jabs at Clarkson, Hammond, and May... Like, they did make me giggle, but I don't, I don't know. I just didn't think it was really necessary. Like, I forget what he said, but something like, oh, we don't talk about catering on this show anymore. Ha ha ha. Yeah, I, I find most of that pretty cringeworthy. Uh, I feel like you do have to acknowledge it. Like, I think if you say nothing, it will seem weird, but you have to do it. It's a tough line to walk because you want to do it in a way that is funny, but also respectful, but also acknowledges that I know that you know that I know that this is weird and they didn't pull that off. I completely agree. Well said. Um so yeah, so Matt LeBlanc, I really liked the segment with the two of them, the Reliant Robin, like it was ostensibly US versus Britain, but they're in two British cars. Like it just served no point to me and that I didn't care for at all. But everything took a terrible, terrible, terrible turn when it was time for the guests. This was the most ridiculous, cringeworthy, terrible interview I've seen on Top Gear. So the, the premise was they were having like a competition between Gordon Ramsay and uh, Jesse something rather, the dude who played Zuckerberg on the social network. And they were like, Eisenberg. thank you. Um, they were talking about like, oh, who had the best first car and who had like the best current car. And it I just thought it was terrible. That sounds like a. I haven't. I haven't seen the segment, but that sounds like a good premise for an interview. Like that, wouldn't that be fun to have celebrities on and have them compete over those type of car related things? But I guess they didn't do it well. No, I think if the roles were reversed, I would have said the same thing. But having seen it, I thought it was terrible. What did you think, Marco? Hmm. Where do I begin? <laughs> I mean, so to be fair. I I started watching this at uh, 8 p.m. or 7:45. So you had to fast forward a little. So bit. I had I, I knew I was going to have to have to fast forward through parts, and this was fine because for old Top Gear, 
I would always fast forward through the British celebrity interview and the star of the reasonably priced car segments because I, they were just yep. too slow for me. I would always fast forward through those. And usually I didn't know the people, so it was fine. So I gave this show the same courtesy um, <laughs> because I, I started watching a little bit of it to give it a chance, and it was so bad. It just dragged on so poorly. In general, my, my one of my main complaints about, about what I saw so far, and you know, granted only episode one, but one of my, one of my main complaints uh, is that it seems like both the writing and the editing have gotten substantially worse. And that was made very clear in every part of the show, but in, especially in the, in, the, in the interview, where it's like, it was clear that, you know, a lot of these things are scripted that they're saying. They're trying to, to make it seem like it's not scripted. It kind of flowed in many ways similarly to uh, the, the Tim Cook Bono uh, skit before the finger touch, where it's like, it's so painfully obvious that it's scripted and they're trying so hard to make it seem like it's not and doing a really poor job of it. Uh, that's how a lot of this felt to me. The interview, the yep. bits, the the challenging quotes, whatever challenges were going on mm-hmm. in, in reality. Mm-hmm. Um, it all just seemed like it was really forced. It seemed like everybody was reading badly written cue cards and having trouble seeing them. I mean, it was... Whew, it was so rough in so many ways. Yep. And it, 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 you know, the fundamental problem I have with this is that they, they, they walked right into the shoes of a show where the show had really moved beyond its initial premise of basically like a boring BBC show about cars. You know, uh, it had moved beyond that into these three particular people who had great chemistry, great personalities who had years to develop into these, into this chemistry and into these personalities and, and into this show. And the show was really about them and, and about their, their chemistry together, the things they did together, them being funny together, being, you know, making fun of each other and, and doing things together. It was really all about them. It wasn't really about the cars. Sorry, John. And so it has <laughs> taken that, removed them and then, they they tried to just keep it going in the same way with a completely different cast and and some minor variation on the formula but not not much variation um and i just don't see that working because what you have now is all these people who don't who clearly have no previous experience with each other or at least not enough to matter um trying to take a role of of a show that depended so heavily on chemistry and on long established personalities i just don't see how that's going to work and and it doesn't i mean hopefully the show will develop over time into something people care about but the way it is now i don't see that happening because i think what what took it from that old boring british car show and turned it into the worldwide phenomenon that it was was that it went beyond just talking about the cars and doing, you know, skits with cars. And it, it went into something that was way more mass appeal and could appeal to people who only like cars a little bit or d- barely even cared about cars at all, but were just entertained by the show. The new show doesn't do that. It, it The new show is... It, it kind of reminds me, or it, it has shown me, how little I care about cars. Hmm. Because I had... I had no interest in almost anything they did. I realized what I was actually watching for all this time was the cast, the and not this cast. Yeah. So maybe over time, you know, 
as they're trying too hard to be old Top Gear, uh, you know, there have been there have been other things in the past that have started off this poorly and have gotten better. I think the the most direct, clear example of this is the U.S. version of The Office, where the the the, the first couple of episodes were like direct clones of the British Office show with a whole different cast and trying to be that. And they were terrible. They were just so bad. And eventually, you know, maybe like one or two seasons in, the show kind of grew into its own and became its own thing because it stopped trying to be the old show. And it, it became its own thing. And it ended up being becoming, one, I think, one of the best shows that's ever been on TV. And so this, I hope this does that. I, I don't have incredibly high hopes that it will based on what I've seen so far. But I hope it does because... It just, so much of it just didn't work for me at all. I mean, it just seemed so forced, so badly acted, badly edited, badly written, badly conceived. It, and it's it's like you have this massive budget and not enough talent to use it right. Well, this is only episode one, though. I mean, and like Casey said, if you're going to think of an example of a show that started off bad in episode one, according to Casey, Top Gear did. Like, oh, I, 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 I give them... I'm going to give them some time to settle in. Although I wish I hadn't read the stories or skimmed the stories about like who's shooting with who on the show, because it seemed to me that from the, from the first shot that Matt LeBlanc does not like the, uh, the fake Simon Pegg guy. (laughs) Uh, I don't know if those are the two people who were supposed to be feuding. They were, I believe, but that's, but that's not a good, that's not a good start for, you know, if if your show is going to be based on the chemistry and camaraderie, what are we going to say about the, the, uh, badly behaved, slightly eccentric and all-around strange old hosts of Top Gear, they seem to all pretty much get along with each other as evidence from the fact that they had some amount of solidarity to sort of stick to their jerky face-punching uh, non-steak-eater guy when he got kicked off the show. Like, So I think they all get along with each other, at least in their working relationship. Um, and that came through in the show, that they mostly enjoyed being together and doing the show together and i think you need that if a show is going to be based on chemistry you need that and even though this show is not about the cars in terms of like gearhead type things where they're going to tell you about tech specs and and get all into the nitty-gritty of the testing and stuff i think everyone on that show had an enthusiasm for cars that came through in the cars that they reviewed like each person would would review a particular car and they would do the voiceovers and i assuming they had a lot of influence on how the segment was put together and structured and that came through in the reviews. And it's not like I read car magazines for the more in-depth reviews and stuff. It's not like that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for basically the same reason you read like a columnist or whatever. Like three individual people whose personalities I'd come to know talking about cars that they have interesting things to say about, that they're interested in. Whether they like them or not, or they're into them or they're not into them, they always had an interesting angle on the cars. And I felt like the segments were put together well, um, edited well. And it's sort of like it was like a coherent vision of it, you know. A James May review is very different from a Jeremy Clarkson review, and and all the different cars were the reviews were different from each other, and uh, and that's what I enjoyed out of the show. And I haven't even gotten to well, I don't know, have I gotten to the car review segment? Was that ECR thing it? If I, if I finish the episode, is there anything more in there for me? Not really. Well, anyway, episode one, I give them lots of leeway. In the meantime, I will try out the whatever whatever the hell it's called, the Amazon thing that those guys are doing. Although, unfortunately, uh, Grand Tour. If they're not reviewing cars at all, maybe I'll be uh, not too excited about that either. Yeah, I, I think that Marco really um, 
I took the words right out of my mouth that when they the the rare occasions when they didn't try to just follow the exact formula, I thought it actually went reasonably well. Um, the star in a reasonably priced car is now star in a rally cross car. I think they called it. So it was like a rally mini. And part of the track for the purpose of the stars is an off road segment. Which at first I was like, really? And then actually I was like, I, I watched it a little more and thought, you know what? This is pretty good. They're trying something different. They're, they're, they're trying something new. I'm, I'm okay with this. I thought the um, US versus UK segments with Matt and, and Chris after the start and reasonably, reasonably priced car. So once they got into the, the, the Willys Jeep and the, um, and the Range Rover Land Rover Land Cruiser, I always get it wrong. I'm sorry. It, it, it's all a mash, a mashup in my head. It doesn't matter. It's only a British thing. Right. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> it's only a British car. They never matter. Yeah, n- never at all. Um, God, we're going to get so, ma- so much email about this because I know they were like the most popular off-road car in the world. We know, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. The point is... No, all the people who own British cars don't listen to this. They're, they're busy fixing their cars. Oh, shots fired. In any case, um, that segment I actually enjoyed. I thought that was that was really good. I thought Matt's segment on the on the off-road aerial, aerial Adam, um, I thought that was really good. The things that bothered me the most about those two segments were exactly what Marco said earlier, that even though if you really look closely at old Top Gear, you could tell it was scripted. And maybe for some people, you didn't even have to look close. But for me, I, I, I was so caught up in the entertainment of it, I didn't really think about it. And then you look closely and you realize, oh, wow, this is totally scripted. It was so obvious here how scripted it was and where it was completely clear that it was that it, they were trying to follow the script. It just made it rough. But all that said... I do think the hosts, with the exception of Chris Evans, have a lot of promise. I'm hoping Chris Evans gets his act together and lives up to the expectation I had because he is so well regarded as a radio host. Um, and that's the other thing, the other reason I hated the interview because he was interviewing people on the radio for decades and yet it was such a rough interview. But anyway, I do think it shows a lot of promise. I thought the cinematography was still really, really, really good. Uh, maybe I'm easily amused, but I thought that was still uh, completely up to snuff. And I really feel like if we give them time, this will end up okay. The other thing I should point out is that they did another show called Extra Gear, which is kind of like a behind the scenes thing that's only about half an hour. Yeah, this was curious. I didn't see this yet, but I've, and so I'd, I'd really prefer not to have spoilers if you don't mind, but I have heard it was very, very good. And Chris Harris, who was one of the hosts of that, at least this episode of uh, Extra Gear, I really like because he had a YouTube series for a long time or a couple of YouTube series that were excellent. And so I'm really looking forward to seeing Chris Harris on Top Gear. Um, Without spoiling it, was Extra Gear good? I, I take it you had the time to watch it, Marco? So I, I had to do a lot of skipping through because I, I was trying to fit it in before the show. So I did I, I had to do a lot of skipping. But uh, I will say that I had a way higher Tiff and I both had had a, had similarly low opinions of of the main show. And we both had similarly promising opinions of Extra Gear, where Extra Gear is a different cast almost entirely. Um, it's it's Sabine Schmidt, uh, the it's it's what's that guy's name? Matt Chris Harris. Uh, Chris or Harris. Rory. Yeah. That show was, I think, substantially more promising. It it was kind of like an after dark behind the scenes kind of thing, but they they also did like some original bits here or some original things here and there. It's it's clearly like a way lower budget thing, uh, and you this is clearly like the B team 
in like celebrity rankings, I guess, like the whatever politics <laughs> led to them choosing these weird people for the main show. But to me, that has a way better chance of developing into something good than the main show does because those hosts are not only, I thought, substantially better and their enthusiasm for cars is more obvious and clear and, and is is uh, better integrated into the show, but they're doing like less goofy crap because it, they're, they're, the role of that show is not to have like a fighter jet fly around. It's like all the goofy crap the main show did extra gear didn't uh and it was people it was it was what you want the main show to be in in many ways which is three people who are very passionate about cars who know a lot about it and can talk and can talk well about them in a in a seemingly less scripted way or unscripted way compared to the main show so honestly i think that i think extra gear is the better show and when you see extra gear it kind of makes you wonder why they didn't just make these people the hosts of the main show. Hmm. That's too bad. Well, I mean, I'm excited to watch it uh, even more so now, but that's too bad that that's the way the hosting shook out, you know, uh, kind of played out. So did you like Matt LeBlanc or not really? Honestly, no, I, I really didn't like him or Chris Evans. Yeah. I, I didn't like mm-hmm. either of them. I, and I, I, you know, I mean, I saw, obviously I saw Matt LeBlanc and friends. I haven't really followed his work since then, but, uh, I didn't really, you know, I had a fairly neutral opinion going in. I never, I never saw the other guy. Um, but I thought both of them were pretty painful. Honestly, it, it was, it was hard to watch. It was very hard to watch because I thought they were both, so they were both doing such a mediocre job reading, you know, doing things and, and reading things that were, you know, written in mediocrity and, and, uh, it just, it it was not my my position on this show is now i'm just gonna let you keep watching it and you tell me when it gets good uh because i i have zero interest in seeing any more episodes of this show until everyone else has decided that this has become good yeah we'll see how it goes i'm i'm curious to see um i am i am hopeful i'm excited that that we have two shows to watch. Um, there was fifth gear back in the day um, that actually just got canceled, um, which I used to watch when I could, and it was a much more serious motoring show. So it might've been much more up John's alley, um, but it was never quite the same as top gear. It was always kind of an also ran. Um, I'm hopeful that even, I'm hopeful that the grand tour, the new top gear, if you will, with, the, with the original three hosts, I'm hopeful that's really good. And I'm hopeful that Amazon treats it right. And I'm also hopeful that they get their, their act together on the, the actual new top gear that we spent all this time discussing, because I really do think there's promise there, but man, it was rough. This first one, we'll see. I think there's a reason why we've seen all these different, spinoffs and clones and everything of this show and none of them have taken off there's a reason for that and what we have now is basically just another top gear clone or spinoff i don't think it's going to go very far i think it will probably be canceled within maybe three to five years at, at most and uh and i think you know whatever uh clarkson and, and may and hammond do is going to be what we are mostly paying attention to but we we will see. Yeah, but I'm hopeful. I mean, I agree with with nearly everything you said. But I am hopeful. And John, you should watch the rest of the episode now that we spoiled it, just so you can see and uh, and decide which one whether we are 
trying to uh, shine a turd or if it's actually really just a diamond in the rough. I will. And the extra gear thing, or is that on after it? Like when is when is that supposed to be? Or is it web only or something? No, I believe it was on after. I think you can get it on BBC America. Or if you uh, have a friend that might have acquired it, you might be able to get it off of his uh, Plex or Synology, perhaps, possibly, maybe. Yeah, it, it's right next to the main show on Casey's Plex server, John. <laughs> <laughs> that's mm-hmm. that's how i might have seen it are they are they airing them in <laughs> i get bbc america are they airing them in in real time on bbc america not real time i think it was uh monday that they aired on bbc america because the show airs on sunday evenings on the actual BBC. Oh, so, but it's it's not delayed by like a week or anything it's like a, a day off that's correct and or at least that's the way it was this week and i don't know how much time was allotted to it on bbc america um uh, the, the chat room is saying that it will be consistently on Monday nights on BBC America, right, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure if um, they're going to do the thing that they used to do, where they cut it down and add commercial. Or they, so the runtime is actually an hour on the BBC. <laughs> Honestly, so, that would be doing it a favor. Eh, potentially, um, but yeah. So they used to cut out scenes and also change the music, which that was another thing I meant to bring up. The music, I didn't notice any of the music on that episode, which is peculiar because usually the music on top gear is excellent and a friend of mine the guy who got me into top gear actually said to me that he had he doesn't think they actually licensed and licensed any actual songs like like popular songs to use on the episode they just found like the 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 oral equivalent of uh, stock photography in order to fill out the episode and i haven't listened i haven't watched back since he said that i might be wrong he might be wrong but um but yeah, I'm curious to see uh, whether or not that's true. And anyway, I bring that up because in the BBC America version, they didn't have the, the rights to all these songs for anywhere but the UK. So they would change all the music and it would be crappier. They would cut it down from an hour to 42 minutes because commercials. And it was just terrible additions. And I don't know if that's going to be the case again uh, for, for the new Top Gear. It may or may not be. Anyway, I'm hopeful. We'll see. That makes one of us. Yeah. No matter what, you can satisfy your cravings for car-related things by buying an ATP shirt. <laughs> Quickly. Very quickly, (laughs) right now.